right. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you to today's edition of Bible News Radio. I am so glad that you are here with us today because today we're going to talk about the Bible. I know, right? Can you believe that? We're going to talk about the Bible on Bible News Radio. If you're new to the show, first thing I want to let you know is that we are not your normal Christian radio program. Uh, We're not about being sensational. We're not about, you know, just if it bleeds, it leads. We're about building disciples and encouraging people in their faith and helping people to get back into the God's Word. So we always start the show out, at least the first hour for sure, usually getting into the Word of God for a few minutes, and then we look at some headlines of the day. And this hour, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some news that has to do actually with the Bible. I don't know about you, but if you um, look at news, the Bible's in the news every day. I know, right? And it's not just Christian media. It's actually, you know, all over secular media. Usually it's highlighted negatively in many ways. Um, But I actually found a couple very interesting stories this week uh, about this. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, And then in our second hour, we're going to do, we're going to look at some of the the sad stuff coming out of the church, which isn't, you know, it's not stuff I really like to talk about, but let's just be honest, you know, uh, Christian media by and large is fluff media. Okay. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it any other way. It's fluff, right? Most Christian media is about selling a book or a music CD or scaring the daylights out of you, uh, and getting you to buy survival food because, you know, You have to survive, people. The end of the world is coming. Don't you know that? Okay. Anyway. um, Yeah, and I am being slightly mocking because I can be. And who's going to stop me, right? (laughs) This is my show. I can do what I want. (laughs) Um, But in the second hour, we're going to talk about that. I do want to give you an announcement, though. And and this is very important. Next week, next Wednesday, I am um, very honored to be doing an interview with um, Nagme uh, Panini, who is the ex-wife of Pastor Saeed Abedini, who was in the news many years ago um, because he was being persecuted for his faith in Christ in Iran. But what most people don't know is that Pastor Saeed was a monster. Not only did he rape his wife, beat her, choke her, try to kill her numerous times and is addicted to pornography. But, you know, the Christian media world, uh, when, you know, he was finally released, they actually abandoned Nagme. When she came out, she actually told the truth about what was happening to her. And that abuse even took place um, during his imprisonment. And it was verbal abuse. It's on the phone. Uh, big Christian leaders like Franklin Graham um, and others completely, man, if I could just smack Franklin Graham upside his big fat head, I would. Uh, I know, in Christian love, of course. Um, You know, these bullies, narcissistic bullies in the church, they need to be exposed. Frankly, um, uh, I'm not afraid to do it because I'm not bought and paid for media like most Christian media is. So I say that to let you know next Wednesday, uh, she will be joining me live for an interview right here on our on our show. And I, I hope that if you care about truth in the church, 
and the and corruption in the church that you take the time to come and listen to this story because you know what I thought a lot about it before I asked her to come on the show um, and I can say having uh, having um, written the persecution blog for the voice of the martyrs and my experience working with that ministry um, and understanding the dark underbelly of many Christian media including the voice of the martyrs and other things um, the reason why corruption is so deep in the church is because so few people come out and talk about it. And then what happens, <clears throat> excuse me, what happens is when people do talk about it, they're made to be the victim again because nobody believes them or they're like, oh, well, they're just trying to get money or oh, blah, 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 blah. Well, what I will tell you is that being a survivor of abuse myself Victims are often re-victimized when they tell the truth. Why? Because people like to listen to um, liars, basically. And the truth is hard to hear sometimes. And, you know, and this is really interesting because um, in, my, in my devotion time, in my Bible reading time, many of you know that um, I have um, uh, been reading through the Bible this year, actually. <laughs> Imagine that. What a novel idea for a Christian to do. Um, and I'm, I'm reading the book of Jeremiah right now. And I'm going to share with you some thoughts from Jeremiah chapter 7. We're going to look at that in just a second. But before we do, I want to let you know our website is hearttug.org. Go to hearttug.org or biblenewsradio.com. It goes to the same place. You can go over there, subscribe to our email list. We're going to have a giveaway soon for a, um, a chart my husband put together. It's beautiful. It's informative. Um, we also have a text message list you can join. You can text the term Bible News to 33222. Or if you want to be held accountable for Bible reading, text Team Unstuck to the same number, 33222. And if you're watching live or here on the YouTube, you can look here at the scroller and you can see that. That info is also going to be in our email as well, uh, which you can just sign up right there on our website. I hope you do uh, because I spend a lot of time writing email and trying to get people informed about what's going on. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just want you to benefit. The other thing here, too, we also have a Facebook group. It's called our Daily Disciples Facebook group. Um, and in that group, this is what we do. I know it might shock you, <laughs> but we actually have a team of people in there, a small community of people that we actually go in there every single day literally every single day because we're daily disciples and we read one chapter of the Bible right there in that group. We literally have now read 27 books of the Bible through right there on Facebook. I don't know if we'll be the first people in the history of Facebook to read through the whole Bible once we finish it, but I'm happy. You know, I've seen people's lives change just from reading the word, not even doing a Bible study, just reading it. Which reminds me also, I am teaching a Bible study in Psalm 119 every other Tuesday night right now. And you can learn more about that by joining my email list. I highly encourage you to come and be a part of it. It's so fun. God is doing some great work. And, um, and you know what? We just want to encourage you to be in the word. Walk with the word of God. Okay? All right. So let's look at Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah I have to be honest and say that I was hesitant to read this book, but it's part of the Bible, so I, I have to, right? It's part of the Bible, so I got to read Jeremiah. Jeremiah is commonly called the weeping prophet, and he 
was young when God called him to be a prophet. In fact, if you look at the first couple of chapters, you can see how God called him. He chose him before he was even knit in his mother's womb. Um, and he called him for this purpose to be essentially, in a, in a way, kind of like John the Baptist, a voice calling out in the wilderness, hey, you know, repent, because, you know, you, you need to leave your idols and stuff. Repent, come back to God. His main message is to um, Jerusalem. And to, well, to Israel as a whole. Um, but throughout the book, you'll see he, speci- he specifies Jerusalem and Judah. Um, and, and he has the, the unnerving task of calling out the, the religious folk of the day, which is something that a lot of people don't do today. <laughs> anyway, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff in there. So let's look at chapter 7. We're just going to look at the first couple of verses first 11 verses. Let's read it. It says here, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Uh, Stand in the gate of the house of the Lord and there call out this word. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who enter through these gates to worship the Lord. Now you picture this. Jeremiah is young at this point. Uh, pretty young anyway. Um, just picture this guy, a little young man, young man. No. Anyway, he's, and he's, he's declaring this boldly to the to the people. He says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, correct your ways and your actions, and I will allow you to live in this place. Do not trust deceitful words chanting. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Instead, if you really correct your ways and your actions, if you act justly toward one another, if you no longer oppress the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, and no longer shed innocent blood in this place, or follow other gods, bringing harm on yourselves, I will allow you to live in this place, the land that I gave to your ancestors long ago and forever. But look, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. Do you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods that you have not known? Then do you come and stand before me in this house that bears my name and say, we are rescued so we can continue doing all these detestable acts? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers in your view Yes, I too have seen it. I love Jeremiah. <laughs> just, this isn't a Joel Osteen message, just so you know. Um, I, you know, I've been writing on my Facebook uh, page a kind of a synopsis of what I'm getting out of this. And this morning I read seven, eight, chapter 7, 8, and 9. And one of the things that I noted when I was reading this particular part was that Jeremiah's he's calling out these people, you know, and he's telling them, look, you guys, you're, you're oppressing the alien, you're oppressing the fatherless, the widows, and you're murdering innocent people, which is what they did back then, the gods of Baal and stuff, they murdered these people. Um, and you're, you're doing it in the name of God, really, and you're expecting us to bless you, but the Lord of the armies says, uh-uh, I don't think so. But here's the part that really got me when I was reading this. It, it just, it, it, it cracked me up, actually. Verse 8 says, but look, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. Think about that. They're trusting in deceit. 
right? They're trusting in deceitful words. Okay, do you know anybody that does that today? <laughs> okay, have you turned on the media by any chance? The, you know, the regular media? Okay, how many of you realize that the media lies? Yeah, you do. Of course you do. It's all, it lies, right? They, they distort, they lie, they, they lie, 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 lie. And yet people turn on the media today and they believe what they're telling them, even though they know it's, they, it's been proven that they lie all the time, right? So these guys, the religious folk, they're trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. And here's the thing that's amazing to me. He's, he's calling out these, these religious leaders, the prophets and all this stuff. And he's saying, do you steal? He's going through the commandments here, by the way. Do you murder? Do you commit adultery? Do you swear falsely? Do you burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that you haven't known? And then you come into my house and you're bearing witness saying, hey, we're rescued, we're saved, we can do all these things, basically. And then in verse 11, it says, has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers in your view? Yes, I too have seen it. The, the, the minute I saw it said den of robbers, I instantly thought of the, brand, of the New Testament um, where, you know, Jesus, you know, Yeshua, the Messiah that went to Israel and came to the whole world to save us uh, in the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke. It's not mentioned in the Gospel of John, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus rebuking the religious leaders of that day, telling them, hey, you know what? Our house, this is, this, this is, has this temple become a house of robbers, you know? And he goes in and he flips the tables because he's like, hey, you know what? This is like a marketplace and this is not acceptable. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. You can look up Mark eleven seventeen, Matthew 21, 13, and Luke 19, 46 if you want to see the cross references to this. I thought it was interesting because there's really, truly nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun, really. And when it comes to religious people, though, uh, who should know better, um, it, it is, it's really, really interesting to me. And, and then there's only one other thing I want to talk about in, in here. Um, it, in chapter 8, and I'm not going to read it or anything. Well, actually, I'm just going to read it from my page here. But in chapter 8, um, what stood out to me in chapter 8 going through this, he says, at that time, this is the Lord's declaration, the bones of the kings of Judah, know who it is, okay? It's the kings, the bones of her officials, the bones of the priests and the prophets, and the bones of the residents of Jerusalem will be brought out of their graves. They will be exposed to the sun, the moon, all the stars in the sky, which they have loved, served, followed, consulted, and worshipped. Their bones will not be collected and buried, but, but, but will become like manure on the soil's surface. Death will be chosen over life by all the survivors of this evil family, those who remain wherever I have banished them. This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. So he is indicting here um, all these people. You got the kings of Judah. You got the officials. You have the priests and the prophets, right? Now there's a lot of priests today. There's a lot of prophets today. I dare say false prophets out there. And what do they do? It says here, they will be exposed to the sun and the moon and all the stars in the sky, which they have loved, served, followed, consulted, 
and worshipped. Now let me ask you something. Do you know anybody today that worships the universe? I'm in direct sales, okay? (laughs) There are so many people in direct sales that, oh, the universe, I'm going to declare that the universe is going to give me whatever, blah, 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 blah. Um, They love the universe. They follow the universe. They serve the universe with their crystals and all that stuff. They consult, they worship the, the universe. It has nothing to do with the one true living God. The problem is, and I'll say this, problem is people naming them the name of Jesus say the same thing. There are many Christians today that will do this exact same thing. They'll worship the universe instead of the creator of the universe. Well, Jeremiah was a tender-hearted guy who wanted Israel to turn back to God. That's why God called him to do that. Um, And he's like, you guys have worshipped death over life, you know. And dare I say, we're living in a culture today where that is exactly the same thing happening today. Our culture, I don't care what country you're in, we are worshipping death over life. 100%. All you got, I mean, I don't watch TV, okay, because frankly, it disgusts me. But recently, um, I, you know... I wanted, I wanted to watch something on Netflix, and we, we get Netflix free with our T-Mobile account, so um, I asked for some recommendations on my Facebook page, and I said, hey, can anybody recommend a show on Netflix that doesn't have a gay character, there's no violence, there's no sexual immorality, and I, I gave a list of things that it seems virtually impossible to, to fill. I got very few responses, I might add. Uh, most of my friends on Facebook are Christians, um, but I did get a couple of responses for a couple of shows, and uh, Randall and I decided to watch this one show, which I won't name, um, and it started out okay. I, I was like, well, you know, this is pretty good. I can watch this. It's So far, it's moral. But as I got into the character development of it, you know, there was being paid under the table, uh, stealing, basically. Uh, there was uh, adultery or, or fornication in it. Uh, there was murder in it. There was, cor- there was corruption in it. And, and, then, and then it really got me. There was, there was some scenes of uh, a war thing that there was some post-traumatic stress scenes. And I was like, okay. I told Randall, I said, you know, as much as I like the character development of this show... I, I can no longer watch this show. And I think we watched, what, three or four episodes? It wasn't many. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I left the show because I could feel it in me. I literally felt it. You know, I felt the, the trauma of the character that was having these flashbacks. I'm like, okay, if I'm that sensitive to media and the energy and the negative lies and stuff that they're sending my way, I need to be really, really careful because as a Christian, I'm called to be set apart in this world and to be a light, not to be corrupted by the culture. Um, and that's hard. This morning, um, I was meeting with my, my, my girlfriends and we do our Bible reading accountability group on Wednesday. And one of, um, 
one of one of my friends, Natasha, she said she's she was reading through the book of Dan, Daniel, just started Daniel, and one of the observations she made was, you know, it's interesting that Daniel um, and his friends they they were brought into the Babylonian culture there, and they were taught the ways of the Babylonians, right? We know that. And but she drew in a great parallel to today. She said, you know, isn't it interesting that that's what they're doing in schools today? They took out God and they're teaching the kids the way of the gay community, the way of the liberals, the way of the Marxists, whatever. And I thought, very astute observation. I told her I was going to talk about it on the show and give myself credit and not give her any credit. But anyway, I couldn't do that. So, but it's really true. And so we live in this culture today. And Christians live in this culture today. And unless you know Christ, you know they're a Christian, how do you know they're a Christian? If they're so much like the world, how do you know? Right? I mean, we're called to stand out, people. We're called to be salt and light. We're not called to carry the crap of the world into the church as much as we are to do what God told us to do, to love the orphans and the widows and to take care of the resident alien, to care for people. You know, there's an old song from years ago that says that you, we will know that you're Christians by our love, by our love. I'm, I'm dating myself now, but read first John and second and third John, you know, first John four, seven and eight, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone that loves is, no, is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not, loveth not God for God is love. God is love. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7, and 8, you know. And yet the love of many has grown cold because we're not worshiping the one true God. We're worshiping the new age God, the universe, uh, things like that, that have nothing to do with anything except that they're images that we've carved, you know, in wood and stone and technology and, and all of that. So my encouragement to you today is that... If you feel like a stranger in the world, good, because <laughs> you should. Um, but I would also be caution you to be very careful about what the world and what the church is telling you, uh, because unless it's straight from God's word, it's a deceitful lie. And it's so easy for our hearts, which are deceitful above all else, to love and want to embrace those deceitful lies that are being told to us all the time. So it's, I, I can't judge these people for what they did because our hearts are deceitful above all else. Who can know it? God can. That's in Jeremiah, by the way. But the truth is, is that we're prone to believe these things because deception is so enticing. And yet God's love, hopefully, the more we're in his word, the more enticing it will be that God's love will be too. You know what I'm trying to try say? I'm saying here? I actually read an article yesterday, um, just as an aside, I was doing some research, and I, and I saw this article, it was written by a secular person, actually, and the article was, how you should get along with people that you don't like. <laughs> I started laughing when I saw that, I was like, yeah, there's some people I don't like, so I thought, okay, I'm going to read, I'm going to read the article, <laughs> okay, how do I get along with people I don't like? And one of the one of the things that this article talked about was wishing the other person well. Right? 
And I don't even think it was the believer that wrote this, but but I just, I chuckled because I'm like, yeah, kind of like love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Uh, don't, don't, don't like spitefully use them. Don't accuse them falsely of something. Don't like, um, you know, stuff like that. You know, the problem with, I think, a lot of Christians today and the church is that people don't want to reconcile. They're believers. They say they're believers. They might read the Bible even, but they don't want to reconcile, because they don't like conflict. Because, oh my gosh, we can't have any conflict. Conflict is good, people. Just so you know, conflict is healthy. When you resolve the conflict in a healthy manner, then you're healthy. But if you're somebody who's avoidant and passive-aggressive and stuff like that, then you're not that healthy and you're actually a hypocrite because you're not doing what God's Word tells you to do in the first place. You're being avoidant. You're being passive-aggressive. You're being petty. Um, you're pretending like it doesn't matter when the reality is, is it does matter. It's sin and you need to repent from it. You know who you are if you do that. A lot of people do it, just so you know. Anyway. All right. Randall, <laughs> I, I should call you in before we, we jump into a, a story because I've said a lot, but I, I always love to hear your, your commentary and this show isn't just me. So, oh my goodness. Um, so many things going through my head and, you know, biblical history and things like that, that um, let me boil it down to this, as you read in Jeremiah chapter 7, several minutes ago, about the Lord saying, do not chant for yourselves, declare to yourself the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Right. And in a nutshell, to them, the temple of the Lord was the symbol of a relationship with God, because historically, that's where the you know Shekinah glory of God manifested of course god hadn't shown up in in decades and but the the rituals and the places the you know accoutrements of religion the priestly service became substitutes for a relationship with god and they figured because we're doing all this the priests are doing their sacrifices you know they have their schedule we've got the temple we you know we've got all these things we got the love we're good with god when a relationship, an actual relationship with God had ceased, you know, generations earlier. And, and that's a, a, uh, I don't know, it's a problem, problem, uh, you know, a, a danger. And, you know, modern Christendom is we have, we have our church building, we have our church family, we have our, you know, we have our Sunday school, we have this program and that program, and we do all these things, and those can become a substitute for an actual relationship with the Lord. You know, we do these things like we've always done. We have these traditions, we have these traditions and rituals and sacraments and whatever, which are, which are not bad, but when they become substitutes for relationship with God, that's a problem. We can go all the way in the New Testament, John chapter 4, uh, the woman at the well. Well, you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place out of worship, and, and we say that, you know, this mountain here, you know, and Samaria is the place to worship. And, and Jesus brings down to, you know, those who desire to worship God must worship in spirit and truth. It's not about this place, that place. It's woman, the, <laughs> the hour is coming now is when you neither worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain. Uh, the, the place is, 
inconsequential if it's not tied to a relationship with God. If it's not tied to spirit and truth, then it's 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 ritual. Right. Yep. Ritual. It's a good point. All right. Well, let's look at a couple of uh, articles here. Um, let's start with the Bible shortage. So have you guys heard there might be a Bible shortage this year at Christmas time? How many of you get a new Bible every year? I I don't, but um but you know, I might. You know, I have a lot of Bibles. I love my Bible. I have grown to really enjoy the Christian Standard Version, even though I don't like that they don't capitalize God's name all the time. That bothers me. Uh it's easy to read though. Um but according here to the Washington Times, uh Mark Kellner, who actually is a friend of mine. Didn't even realize Mark wrote this. It's kind of cool. Anyway, Mark wrote, uh, Bible shortage may leave holiday buyers without a prayer. Nice, Mark. (laughs) I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I will say, let's read part of it. It says here, uh, Sky Klein, who sells high-end Bibles via the internet, is staring down serious supply chain issues with less than six weeks to the Black Friday kickoff of Christmas shopping. We've tried to buy up all the Bibles we can get from European suppliers, Mr. Klein, owner of evangelicalbible.com and Schuyler. Schuyler, how do you say that? Either Schuyler or Schuyler. Gotcha. Publishers said from his office in Richmond, Virginia, the Bibles that Mr. Klein sells bound in luxury hides and printed with wide margins for note-taking or in specialized format formats can cost $230 or more. He was so concerned about supply last week that his company emailed would-be buyers a photo of cargo ships awaiting port space and urgent advice to shop early. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a shortage, he said. He added that $185 personal-sized edition of the English Standard Version in blue goat skin already has sold out. Must be nice to be able to drop $185 (laughs) on a Bible. Um, complaints about supply chain problems have mounted in recent months with reports of full cargo ships waiting weeks at sea to offload goods at crammed coastal ports. Labor shortages driven in part by the COVID-19 pandemic have been cited for delays in delivering products as diverse as computer chips, auto parts, toys, and even the good book. Bible retailers say a shortage will hit during the peak buying season. Virginia Geist, who owns Cedar Springs Christian Stores in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, said her business sells four times more Bibles during the Advent season than at any other times of the year. And I'm not going to read the rest of the article because it's quite lengthy. Mark likes to write. (laughs) My point in bringing this story to you, though, is I find it interesting that even Bibles may be in shortage because of what's going on in the world with this um, pandemic that we're all dealing with, right? Um, th- there's no reason. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, there is zero, absolute zero reason why any of the stuff going on in the world today is happening. Right? Is COVID-19 real? Yes, it's real. I know people who've died from it or complications or bad treatment because they killed them on a respirator. I mean, um, I know people who've been severely harmed by the vaccines. Um, And I also know economies are crashing as a result, and it's all intentional. There's nothing happening right now that is not intentional. 
Trust me on that one. Um, so these supply chain issues, um, that's all intentional. Um, so here's the thing. If you want to get a Bible for a gift or something, I would encourage you to go get one as soon as you can, you know, um, and I will also say that um, I didn't find, I think the other story that I, I, I think I didn't bring it up here. Wait. There is another story talking about Bibles that um, I forgot to uh, bring up here. I think it's the first one I sent you. Yeah. The Apple Store. This is just another article. Uh, from This is from the Catholic Register. It says here, Bible Quran apps removed from the Apple App Store for China, for China. Or as Trump would say, China. No, anyway, um, which, you know, we like to mock, right? Anyway, um, so basically Apple has deleted um, the Bible app from their store, their Apple store, as well as Cron apps and other stuff. It says here, Apple declined to comment, noting its human rights statement. <laughs> we're required to comply with local laws and at times there are complex issues about which we may disagree with governments under pressure pressure from chinese law a digital bible company has removed its app from the apple's app store offerings in china while apple itself has removed a quran app from its china store at the request of chinese officials olive tree bible software was informed during the app store review process that we are required to provide a permit demonstrating our authorization to distribute an app with book or magazine content in mainland china okay <sighs> By the way, they're already doing, they're actually over there. It was reported a couple of weeks ago, and I think I even talked about it, that they are actually in these countries going door to door, knocking on the door. Let me look at your phone. Oh, you got a Bible app on here? Delete! And they're literally deleting them from people who have it. Now, the thing I find ironic is that China happens to be the home of Amityville Press, which is the world's largest Bible printing press in the whole world. They print more Bibles than anywhere in the world. Randall, did you want to say something? I was, um, yeah, was going to say, or in the case of um, Afghanistan, Taliban going door to door, okay. finding a Bible app on somebody's phone was, is a death sentence. Because it reveals them as a, you know, a heretic and, you know, a Christian. And, um, yeah. So, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if we, as we've talked about, that that may someday come here to the United States where, you know, a, you know any possession of a Bible will, um, you know, be yeah. incriminating. You know, somebody made a movie, it was a Christian movie, and I don't know the name of it, I forgot it, but I just remember years ago when I watched this no-name Christian movie, the the whole premise of that movie was that the Christians did get their Bibles confiscated in America. Um, and it's, it's a high possibility. I know people are like, no, it's not, we're a Christian nation, blah, blah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what world you're living in if you actually think that. Uh, but yes, it can it could happen here. And so I'm going to tell you one more time for the millionth time 
Memorize the Bible. Just saying. Memorize it. Take God's word, hide it in your heart so that he doesn't so that you don't sin against him. Psalm 119:11, okay? Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119:11. Why? Because if your Bible does get taken away, you have hidden his word in your hearts so that you might not sin against God. Um, I'm not kidding, and I wish people would pay attention to what I say. I kind of feel like Jeremiah a little bit. You know, I feel like John the Baptist a little bit sometimes, like, hey, hello. I mean, we covered the homosexual lobby for years trying to warn people this is what's going to happen, this, 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 and this. And it was snoozeville. It was like there's this big snooze button. Wait, hold on. I don't want to listen to that. You know, but hey, let's go ahead and, and declare our I am statements. I am great. I am awesome. <laughs> I am confident. I am so sweet. You know, I mean, give me. People, being a daily disciple is means that you pick up your cross daily and you and you follow him if you desire to do that. You're gonna die. You might die. You might not have to die as a Christian. But I tell you what, in persecuted countries where Christians are being killed every single day, you're just not hearing about it on the news, um, these people, be, they become Christians knowing that they could die that day because they converted to Christ. Um, it's not a laughing matter. Christianity isn't a feel-good religion that you have. You have your Bible reading app. Oh, I'm reading my verse of the day, blah, blah. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is, is you follow Christ and you, you pick up your cross daily and you stand for what's right. Now, now, here's this other story that I found on the Jerusalem Post. Now, this isn't interesting. This is an opinion piece. I, I saw this. I thought, ooh, this is kind of interesting. Um, it's titled, Dropping Bible Studies is Highly Problematic. Ben-Gurion University closed the Bible department this academic year without making a public announcement. Now, this is interesting. Listen to this, okay? I, and I don't know if I'm going to read the whole thing of this either because it's a long article, but let's just read part of it anyway. It says here, the Talmudic maxim, he who desires to acquire knowledge should turn to the south. And that's Baba Batra 25b. No longer rings true, at least not concerning the study of the Bible. Ben-Gurion University of the Negev has closed its Department of Bible as of this new academic year because there was no formal announcement by the university of this closure. I found it hard to believe the rumor that at the institution that proudly bears the name of the person who personified the centrality of the Bible in their lives. Okay, my page just flipped on me. Hold on a second. I don't know what happened. Uh, now i got to find my spot. Where did it go? You have it. Ah, here it is. Okay, the person who personified the centrality of the Bible in our lives, perhaps more than any other public figure in the history of the state of Israel, Bible would no longer be taught. Therefore, I checked the course catalog on the university website, and I discovered that it was true. Bible studies had been deleted from the student handbook for 5782. I, I'm not sure what that, is that the, the Hebrew year? Yeah, I believe so, yes. Okay, instead of 2021, okay. 
For me personally, the closing of the Department of Bible is especially sad. Almost a jubilee ago in September 1972, on the completion of my doctorate, I arrived in Beersheba and the University of the Negev, later to become Ben-Gurion University of the Negev, together with a handful of other lecturers who had been mobilized to establish the Faculty of Humanities. Two years later, I was asked to undertake responsibility for biblical studies, and for the next decade, I served as the chairman of the Department of Bible. In those years, classes were full to overflowing with students who came from all parts of the Negev, eager, eager to study humanities and especially Bible and the history of Israel in the biblical period. But this high watermark of the 70s and 80s was followed by an extended low tide, and like many other areas of humanistic study, a large drop in student registration hit the Department of Bible. Even at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, uh, to where I moved in the early 90s, classes emptied out. Indeed, all of Israel's universities wrestled with a similar crisis. David and Solomon, Isaiah and Jeremiah, no longer interested in interested the high-tech generation there are many reasons for this sea change and this is not the place to to discourse on the decline of the interest in the study of the bible but the solutions that other institutions found for this problem are pertinent <clears throat> take for example tel aviv university several decades ago the university decided to combine its small department of bible with other fields of study that were on the verge of closure in a new unit hebrew culture in this way, the Bible was saved from the sword. Of interest is that two years ago, the Department of Bible was resuscitated in Tel Aviv as an independent department. A different combination was created at the history of Haifa so that today the Bible is studied together with the history of Israel. That includes the biblical period. It is clear that these two institutions understood that the study of the Bible, the foundation stone of Israel's culture, cannot be forfeited under any circumstances. David Ben-Gurion put it this way. <clears throat> In all the wanderings of the Jewish dysphoria over the hundreds of years, the book of books accompanied it, including the good tidings of redemption and the return to Zion, the tidings of the flowering of the desert and the ingathering of the exiles. But not only did the Jewish people derive knowledge of their past and hope for their future from the book of books, the Bible bequeathed to our people and through it to all humanity sublime, humane values, the value of human brotherhood, the values of justice and righteousness, truth and kindness, the equality of nations and peace that are the essence of prophetic teaching and the morality of Judaism. And I'm not going to read that because I don't know how to say that, so I'm not going to say that. But anyway... Um, I'll just read the rest here. The decision of the administration of Ben-Gurion University of the Negev to close the Department of Bible was taken in the back rooms in blatant disregard for accepted academic procedures without consultation with the Department of Bible and the Assembly of the Faculty of Humanities. Keeping it under wraps until now points to its problematic nature. Perhaps those who decided on this move thought that in this manner they could minimize the embarrassment brought on the university by their decision for feeding national and universal cultural treasures inherent in the eternal book of books that the Jewish people gave to the world as proclaimed in Israel's Declaration of Independence. The decision to close the Department of Bible resembles the behavior of thieves in the night. Public discussion in the light of day will hopefully expose its wrongheadedness and open a window for correction. <clears throat> Interestingly, I also found 
this article, and this is the last one we'll look at today on this hour. Uh, this is over on the Jewish Telegraphic Agency website um, from New York. It says this, a New York family is reunited with an heirloom Bible thought lost in the Holocaust. Okay? Now, think about it. Here we have Ben-Gurion canceling Bible classes. And now we have a Jewish family getting reunited with a Bible from a long time ago. So let's look at this. It says here, um, some families spend years, if not Lifetimes tracking down family heirlooms and treasures hidden from our, hidden from or seized by the Nazis during the Holocaust, and some like Susie Casper Leiter and her grandson Jacob Leiter get an unexpected message from the state, United States Holocaust Memorial Museum saying a piece of their family past had been rediscovered. In June, a courier dispatched by the German Museum arrived at Susie's Upper West Side apartment with a package. Surrounded by their immediate family and rabbi, she and Jacob withdrew an 1874 family Bible featuring illustrations by the famed French artist Gustave Doré. I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but anyway. It's a miracle. The delivery marked the latest turn in the remarkable journey of the Bible and its bittersweet coda to a tragic chapter in the Leiter family story. Hidden by Edward, Edward and Ernestine Leiter, Jacob's great-great-grandparents, before they were deported to Treblinka, the Helige Schrifter is whatever. Heilige Schrifter is Ralton. I can't say that stuff. I don't know how Randall does it. it. It's, it's German. Heilige, Holy, Schrift, or Schrift, depending on where you are in Germany, is script or writing. Dur of Israelitin, Israelitin, uh, the people in the holy, the holy script of Israelis, basically. Gotcha. How did you get so smart? That's my question. Anyway, um, anyway, it passed through a whole bunch of people's hands before getting to New York. It says here, 28 members of my own family tragically did not survive the Holocaust, said Susie, 94 years old, by the way. So when we were notified about the finding and survival of this Bible, I realized that miracles can happen. It's a new connection for my children and grandchildren to the Leiter family whose name they bear. It was a connection that might never have made it if not for a series of accidents. I laughed when I read this. I was like, it wasn't an accident. Get a clue, lady. Anyway, according to the USHMM, Eduardo and Ernestine Leiter left the Bible and other valuables behind a double wall in a house in the German town of Boffigen Oberdorf. That's how I say it. <laughs> Where they were forced to live by the Nazis along with seven other Jewish families. They were deported to, say it bareface. This... I would probably go thrice. <laughs> I don't know. There are signs. Feinstadt? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not German, obviously. This is the peril of reading yeah. articles. In your head, you can say it, but whatever. Okay. And eventually murder at Treblinka and what the museum presumes was October 1942. They must have thought to hide their precious few possessions, hoping they would return for them, but they never came back, said Joe Ellen Decker, research and reference librarian for the museum's Holocaust Survivor and Victims Resource Center. The house in Oberdorf changed hands after the war, and it wasn't until 1990 that one of the owner's sons found the hidden cash. 
In 2017, the man sold the Bible on eBay to Gerard Rose, or Ruiz, or something, an artist from Darmstadt who collected works by Doré. According to Jacob Leiter, Roses immediately realized that this Bible was a piece of history and that it was hidden in, quote, consequence of force. He decided to turn its reemergence into an art project, photographing local residents flipping through the Bible as the comment on a post-Nazi Germany. That's when a student being photographed discovered inside the book a postcard made out to Edward Leiter from the book's publisher. After a few years of unsuccessful attempts to find any living relatives, said Jacob, Rose donated the Bible to the synagogue, which I can't pronounce, and museum in Oberdorf. They eventually reached out to the USHMM to see if there was any way to track down anyone in the U.S. who might be related. In February, Jacob was contacted via LinkedIn by a researcher at the museum. She asked if he were related to Charles and Max Leiter, who turned out to be his great-grandfather his great-grandfather and grandfather. The 22-pound Bible, this is a heavy book, was delivered to the family on June 9th. It was an amazing moment in my family's history. Jacob, who lives in Roslyn, New York, told the Jewish Week. My initial impression upon seeing the Bible was one of awe at the grandiose size of the Bible. After that, I had feelings of gratitude and fulfillment. There was a lot of back and forth that took place over the course of about five to six months. And I was ecstatic to see it all come to fruition. Leiter also cherished sharing the experience with his grandmother who survived the Holocaust as a child refugee to the United States. Susie told her story for the USHMM's collection of survivor testimonies and has identified herself in archival video footage as one of the refugees' children aboard the SS Muzinoho, however you say that, a ship that left Portugal for the United States in 1941. Susie's late husband, Max Leiter, who died in 2008, was the grandson of Edward and Ernestine Leiter, whose son, Charles, survived the war. Susie and Max had two children and three grandchildren, including Jacob. I am overwhelmed with emotions and memories and at the same time so grateful to witness this, said Susie. There are no words to describe the goodness, patience, and caring of the wonderful people involved in Germany to make sure that the Bible was returned to its rightful owners. Copies of the Bible are sold by antiquarian booksellers for around $500, but the lighters consider theirs priceless. Jacob said the family intends to hold on to the Dory Bible as a family heirloom and somewhere down the line donate it to the USHMM. To have the Bible back in our family's possession is an amazing feeling. The more I learned about the journey of this Bible, the more passionate I felt about bringing it this home, said Jacob. And I would add... (laughs) My biggest question I have about this is, do these people read the Bible? (laughs) I think it's an amazing thing that they were reunited with this family heirloom, but being Jewish, and I am part Jewish, I found that out not too long ago, as many of you know. My question is, do they read it? Are they going to read this Bible, or do they read another Bible? I hope and pray that they do. Randall, you have any thoughts on this last story that we just looked at? I do. I do. I do. I do. Well, uh, I think it's great, you know, that, you know, she talks about patience and caring of the wonderful people involved in Germany. And what we can see is how tide turns. And you can look at it with one generation or two generations. I mean, 
several generations have been born since the Holocaust, mm -hmm. but it was less than a hundred years ago. You know, it was in somebody's lifetime. You know, well, Susie here, she was a child. Yeah, 94 you know, today. Yeah. Um, so anyway. she was born in 1926. Uh, I was with 20, the, no, 1925. Yeah. I was, uh, I met with a men's group from church last night. And one of the things was we were talking about is just how, uh, faith can be lost in a generation. We see that in the scriptures. Just read the book of judges, read Jeremiah, whatever. And, right. and similarly, there can be recovery from evil in a generation. Look at Nazi Germany and the leadership of the third Reich and all that. Um, and here we have today, less than a hundred years later, there are the caring and wonderful people involved in Germany, you know, just less than a hundred years ago, there were people who would, you know, turn up the music to, uh, not hear the screams of the people going by in the train cars on their way to Treblinka or whatever. Right. And, and now this, um, a generation that is. Um, what's really just dedicated to finding the owners, you know, to find the family uh, that this Bible belonged to, rightfully belonged to. So, anyway, to yeah. me, that stood out. That's very, very cool. All right. Well, and with that said, this is our one Bible News Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it wasn't like if it bleeds, it leads type stuff. We're going to do that kind of next hour. <laughs> um, so let me just remind you, we are a nonprofit. We appreciate your donations and gifts to support the ministry. When you donate to our show, one of the things that you actually support is you support us being able to reach out and help people get into God's word with our Bible studies, our groups, this show, and also Bible, biblical counseling. Um, there's a lot of need out there, and there's unfortunately not enough people trying to meet that need. So pray about what you can give to us and it's tax deductible. Just go over to hearttug.org, donate over there and um, stay tuned for next hour when we're going to look at some other news um, of some of the sad stuff that's happening, unfortunately in the church. So we'll see you back in a few.